Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Great. So good to see you this morning. We're continuing our series entitled Christ Complete, and uh, we're working through the, the Gospel of John. And as I said two weeks ago, the Gospel of John is an interesting gospel in that you'll notice there's a lot of sevens that come through in this gospel. There are seven recorded miracles in the Gospel of John. Seven people have face-to-face encounters with Jesus. There are seven witnesses who testify to the divinity of Jesus, that he is the Son of God. And then the one we're focusing on are the seven self-descriptions that Jesus gives, obviously of himself, and often known as the seven great I Ams. And so we're having a look at these seven I Ams as we get a complete or better understanding and picture of who Jesus is, hence the title, Christ Complete. Because I think when we put each of these descriptions, each of these I Ams together, we're able to get a bigger, fuller, and more complete picture of who Jesus is and this awesome King that we worship. And so two weeks ago, I kicked off from John chapter 6 as we looked at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. You remember that if you were here? I guess not. No one was here. Okay, yep. Great. There were a few people here. Awesome. Then last Sunday, Gordon Meehan spoke from John chapter 8 and 9 of Jesus being the light of the world, where he declared, I am the light of the world. Now this morning, we're progressing in the in the in the book of John, and we're to chapter 10 now where Jesus makes this incredible declaration, I am the gate for the sheep. Some translations say, I am the door of the sheep. Either or, they both work, saying the same thing. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, and I trust you do because we are going to look at Scripture this morning, if you want to turn to John chapter 9, I know I did say John chapter 10, but we need to start in, in John chapter 9, so if you want to turn there, please. And it is a chapter all about Jesus healing the man born blind. And it's into that context that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And if you read that chapter, you'll see that the the Pharisees then investigate this healing. And they come to the conclusion that this cannot be of God. Why? Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Can you believe that? And as a result of it, they throw this man out of the synagogue, which was an absolute disgrace in that day and age to be thrown out of the synagogue. Just read the story about his parents, too nervous to speak up for their son for fear of being excommunicated. But isn't it interesting to compare that with what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 37, when he says, all whom the Father gives me will come to me. And the person who comes to me, I will never cast out. Amazing, eh? The comparison between those shepherds of Israel and the true shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus himself. Pharisees were quite quick to throw a man out. Jesus says, I'll never cast anyone out whom the Father brings to me. All right, so let's pick up the story now in John chapter 9, verse 35. And uh, if you've got a Bible like mine, it's entitled Spiritual Blindness. And so we're going to read. Now, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. This is the man I've just been speaking about, whom Jesus healed. He was born blind. 
And uh, he had heard that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had thrown him out, out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Remember, he had never seen Jesus before because Jesus made some mud with his saliva, rubbed it on the man's eyes and told him to go to a particular pool, the pool of Siloam, and wash in there and you'll be healed. So up until now, he had never laid eyes on Jesus. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And here's the amazing thing is that this man not only received physical sight, but he also received spiritual sight. That he believed in Jesus. But here's the thing, not just as his savior, but we read here that he worshipped him as his Lord. And let me just remind you, friends, Jesus is our savior. He's the savior of our souls. He's the one who opens the way for us to go into heaven. But even more so, he so wants to be our Lord. And by Lord is the one who is king, who has authority, the one who is in charge of your life and my life. And this man understood it. He received Jesus, yes, as his savior, but he worshiped him as his Lord. And for me, there's quite a difference there. I think there are many who are going to come into the kingdom with Jesus being their savior, rightfully so, because that's the promise of eternal life. But when they stand before God in the, in the place of, of receiving rewards, they're going to miss out on so much because they never allowed him to be Lord, to be commander in chief, to be the CEO of their life, of your life and of my life. Friends, he wants to be Lord. And as Augustine said, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And that's a challenge. Because I know there are areas in my life where I have to be honest that he's not Lord of those areas as much as I want him to be Lord of. But oh, if we're going to declare him Lord, then let him be Lord. Gee, I'm going off track here, but let me just say this. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say? And I remember as a young believer being so challenged by that because I was quite quick to say, Lord, this and Lord, that. Until I was challenged that there's some areas of my life where I'm not doing what he says. And if that's true, Jesus politely says, Mark, stop calling me Lord until you get those things right. Yes, I'm your savior. Yes, I'll stick closer than the brother. I'm the greatest friend you'll ever have. But don't declare me Lord if you're not going to obey me and if you're not going to do what I'm saying. What a challenge, eh? This man received Jesus as Savior, and he worshipped him as his Lord. Let's keep reading. Let's hope we're not going to pause too often at each verse here. Eh? I am watching the clock. All right. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? And you've got to say no truer word said, eh? But they couldn't see it. Excuse the pun. And Jesus said, if you were blind, in other words, if you were ignorant but receptive like this healed man, you would not be guilty of sin. 
But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And so because they couldn't see their spiritual blindness, and because they wouldn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they were still in their sin. That's what Jesus says. They're not seeing spiritually. Now we move into chapter 10. This is where we're going this morning. But note in your Bibles, there seems to be a bit of a gap, eh? a break between chapter 9 and chapter 10. I want to say those who who put the Bible together got it wrong. (laughs) There shouldn't be a gap there. All right? Because why do I say that? Because Jesus is still speaking to the Pharisees, to Israel's religious leaders. And so we're going to read the first 18 verses of John chapter 10. But for me, it's divided into three parts. Verses 1 through to 6, and then verses 7 through to 10, and then 11 through to 18. And you'll see what I mean by that. Okay, are you there? John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate... In other words, does not enter by the lawful method of entry and according to God's will and God's call, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper, now we're not told who that gatekeeper is, but the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, let me just pause there and say, as I've done a bit of research on sheep pens in that day and age, is that the sheep that would come into the sheep pen at night would belong to a variety of different shepherds. But for safety and security, they would all accumulate or congregate in one pen. All right, so it's important you understand that. Because here's why. When he has brought out all his own, not others, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And to be honest, it's probably not just the Pharisees, eh? Because <laughs> when you look at this, you think there's a sheep, there's a pen, there's a shepherd, there's a stranger, there's a gate, there's a watchman. What does all of this mean? Well, Jesus tests the Pharisees again with what John calls a figure of speech, a kind of parable or a word picture or an analogy, which included, as I've said, things like sheep and a sheep pen and a shepherd and a gate, and a gatekeeper, and a stranger. And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus doesn't identify himself with any of these. He leaves that to the Pharisees and to us. But what we do know is, is that the Pharisees got their positions of leadership without the blessing of the gatekeeper. Let's keep reading. Verse 7 through to 10. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, here's the key verse, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. He's talking about those who have come as self-appointed leaders, 
who've come to, or who have claimed to be able to give what only Jesus can give. That's who he's referring to here. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The NIV footnote says also can be interpreted will be kept safe. Both are absolutely true. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So let me ask you this morning, who is the thief? Who or what is Jesus referring to here? Well, contrary to popular belief, it is not Satan. It's not the enemy. It's not the devil. Yes, he is a thief for sure. As he is a liar, as he is an accuser of the brethren, as he is a deceiver, and so many other things. But in the context here, Jesus isn't referring to the devil. He's referring to the Pharisees, the shepherds of Israel. Except they are not shepherds at all. They are the stranger he talks about in verse 5. In fact, they are spiritual thieves robbing God's people of spiritual blessings. And the Pharisees have come in illegitimately. Not through the gatekeeper, but they have climbed the wall and they've entered the, sh- the, the, the sheep pen with the aim to gain the allegiance of the people. They've come in illegitimately. In fact, they are not called of God. More than that, they are ignorant of God. And they are certainly not feeding God's people. If anything, they're exploiting and abusing God's people. How different to the true shepherd Jesus, who hasn't come to rob or to kill or to destroy, but he has come to give life and life in all of its fullness, eh? What a contrast. We'll read the third section now, verses 11 through to 18. But let me just preface it by saying Dave's going to be dealing with this passage next week. But because it is part of the dialogue here and the discourse, we're going to include it in the reading. All right? So verse 11, Jesus still speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And so if one were to sum up these three parts, I would put it like this. Verses 1 through to 6 is about Jesus gathering a flock for himself from the Jewish fold. 
verse 7 through to 10, Jesus is explaining why he is gathering this flock, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then verses 11 through to 18, he is explaining how he is gathering and giving life to this flock by laying down his life as the good shepherd. So when Jesus declares, I am the gate, what is he declaring? Well, from these three verses, verse 7 through to 11, I want to share four things that I do believe Jesus is declaring and proclaiming for then as well as for now. And so the first one is this. He was declaring exclusivity in that he is the only way, the only access, the only gate, the only door to entering into a relationship with the Father including eternal life. Jesus is not one of the ways to God. He is not a gate amongst many gates. No, Jesus is the exclusive gate. And that's why he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. Not through anyone else, not through anything else, but only through me. And let me tell you, there are many people in the world and maybe even some in the church who are looking to enter into a relationship with God, but through a variety of other gates, other doors, other avenues, other options. Some of them will be false religions, but let me tell you most in our context, Western civilization and even in in churches is that they are looking for ways to please God by what they can do for God. How they can earn God's favor, earn God's approval. Accumulate enough brownie points so that God will look upon them and say, you've done enough, you're good enough, all right, you can come in. Friends, it's impossible. None of us will ever be able to live that sort of life that perfect life that allows us to enter into God's presence. Paul reminds us it is by grace that you have been saved and through faith, this not of yourselves, not by your good works, lest you should boast about it. It's only through Jesus and the free gift that he offers to us. This is how Peter puts it when he's preaching in Acts chapter 4. And in verse 12, he says, salvation is found in no one else. And may I add there, and in nothing else, if I'm allowed to do that. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. And friends, can I say to you this morning, just like all roads do not lead to Rome, so all religions do not lead to God. Bottom line. William Temple, a one-time Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, Christianity is, I am persuaded, a profoundly intolerant religion. Now let me tell you, in our politically correct culture, that will jar us, eh? jar people. How dare he say something like that? And in case you didn't get it, let me say it again. He said, Christianity is, I am persuaded, a profoundly intolerant religion. But what he meant by that is not being intolerant of people, but intolerant of error. Intolerant of other ways to God. 
of other gates, of other doors that we think somehow allow us access into God's presence and into a relationship with Him. But the truth is we love people enough and we should love people enough to point out their error, yes, with humility and sensitivity, yes, while still respecting them and their convictions, but not agreeing with them and showing them why we disagree with them. And so if Christianity is unique, if Christianity is exclusive, well then can I say so is Jesus when it comes to entering into a relationship with the Father. He alone opens the way for us. But she has the thing, we have to go through the gate. We've got to take that step to enter in. We can't sit on the fence. We can't look from outside the sheep pen or observe from outside the sheep pen. No, we've got to enter in. How? Through Jesus. The only way to the Father. And that's why Jesus said, I am the gate. The only way, the exclusive way to the Father. No other way unless you come through me. Secondly, He was declaring protection. Verse 9, he says, whoever enters through me will be kept safe. And so in many ways, the shepherd acted as a gate, allowing the sheep to come in and to go out. And as a gate, he was also their protector, providing protection for them from wolves who would want to come and kill the sheep, a protector from thieves who would want to come and steal the sheep. Well, friends, can I tell you this morning in the same way, Jesus keeps us safe from every enemy that would want to rob us, to kill us, and to destroy us, including the greatest enemy of all, death. Jesus has come to protect us. He's saying, enter by me and you will be safe forever. Doesn't mean that some bad things might not happen to you here on this earth. But I'll look after you. I'll take care of you. I'll give you eternal security. But let me also just say that Jesus not only protects and preserves us for all eternity, absolutely, but he also promises to be our protection and our safeguard while we live on this earth. And I say that because scripture is full of those promises. And we can't just gloss over them or think that they were for someone else or for another time. No, these promises are applicable for us. And I've just pulled a few out. I mean, we'd be here all day if we had to read all of the promises that God gives around his hand upon you, him being with you, never leaving you, never forsaking you, looking after you. But listen to what David says here, Psalm 32 verse 7. Speaking of God, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You and I can claim those, that promise. Psalm 91 verse 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, and because you love the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Proverbs 18.10 
The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 But the Lord is faithful and will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And we know all dramas, all issues, all failures, all temptations, all pain, all sickness ultimately comes from the enemy. Eh? And he has a great promise that the Lord is faithful. And not only will he strengthen you, but he will protect you from the evil one. And so our good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, protects us and offers us access to safety and security, both now and forevermore, for all eternity. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that worth declaring? Even as Jesus declared it. Thirdly, he was declaring provision. Verse 9, they will come in and go out and find pasture. In other words, find spiritual nourishment, spiritual sustenance. Now, historians will tell us that when the sheep returned to the fold at the end of the day, after a day of grazing, the shepherd would stand in the doorway of the sheep pen, inspecting the sheep as they came in. And if a, if a sheep was scratched or injured by a thorn or a, a branch or whatever it is, we're told that the shepherd would anoint that sheep and that's injury with oil to facilitate some of the healing. There are even times where the shepherd would pour a whole container of oil over sheep's heads if there were flies or infections or anything else on the sheep. If a sheep arrived back as well thirsty, the shepherd would, would give it something to drink. In fact, he would do and give whatever it was needed, whatever the sheep needed. And may I say, not just to survive, not just to get by, but to thrive, to flourish. Because every sheep is so valuable to the shepherd. Just like every sheep is so valuable to the good shepherd. Every person. And after all the sheep had been accounted for, we're told that the shepherd would then lie across the doorway of the sheep pen so that no intruder, whether it be a man or a beast, would be able to enter in without his knowledge. And in many ways, the shepherd became the door. The door of the sheep. The gate for the sheep. Exactly what Jesus says. And then, of course, in the morning, the shepherd would lead the sheep out. Out to green pastures, to quiet waters, where they would lack for nothing. Well, friends, can I say in the same way, the shepherd of our souls cares for us and provides us with everything we need. Maybe not everything we want. It would be nice, eh? And let me tell you, he certainly does give us many things that we do want. I've experienced that, the desires of our hearts. But he promises to give what we need. In fact, David said that, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall lack for nothing. And of course, it's not only physical and emotional needs that he provides for. 
but it's also spiritual nourishment that he offers and provides. This deep soul satisfaction that he wants to give us. You know, Ezekiel 34 is a very challenging and um, not overly encouraging passage of Scripture. Because it's a, a passage, it's a prophecy, I should say, against the shepherds of Israel. But what it is also is a comparison between them and the one true shepherd, the Lord himself. And let me just pull out a few verses here, which gives us a greater understanding of this incredible shepherd who so cares for us, provides for us, protects us. Listen to this. Ezekiel 34, verse 11 to 16. You still doing all right? Okay. It says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now this is God speaking. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness, a day of storms and sin. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Wow, what a beautiful picture, powerful picture of God's care and of his provision for us, his people. And if that's what he says for the people, the sheep of Israel, let me tell you, he says it for the sheep in his fold, you and I. And then fourthly and lastly, he was and he is declaring life, abundant life. Verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The Amplified says, till it overflows. And so as awesome as God's protection is, as amazing as his provision is, let me also say none of us want to just merely exist. No, we want to live and really live. I don't know if that's true for you, but man, it's true for me. I want to count. I want to live a life that honors God. I want to live a life that is pleasing for him, to him. I want to live a life where I'm storing up for myself, not treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven where it counts forever and ever and ever. I don't want to just exist. I don't want to just take up space, breathe oxygen, and then go to heaven one day. I want to make my life count. And I think this is something of what Jesus is saying here. Because life for me is not just about surviving. It's about thriving at every level and in every opportunity and in every circumstance and in every difficulty as much as in every high. For me, it's what Jesus refers to as abundant life, overflowing life, 
deep life, a full life, a rich life, a joyful life, a meaningful life. That's what he's come to give. And it's what we've been made for. And that's how God wants us to live. He's come to give us life in all of its fullness. He's come to give us provision. Maybe not always what we want, but certainly what we need. He's come to give us his protection as the chief shepherd. And of course, he's come to give us himself. Can I ask the musos, would you come up? I haven't planned for this, but I know you're always prepared in and out of season. (laughs) So we're going to sing Charles Wesley's hymn. No, I'm joking. Relax. (laughs) (laughs) The name of Jesus. We're going to proclaim and declare the name of Jesus. We're not going to sing it just because it's a nice way to end a a, a morning. But as we were singing, I felt that's exactly what Jesus was declaring when he said, I am. And as much as he said those things, I think there's a place for us to declare, not that we are these things, but that he is these things. That he is life. That he is provision. That he is our protection. That he is everything we need for life and for godliness. And so, Father, let's bow our heads. Father, I ask this morning that the truth of your word and your declaration that I'm the gate would truly break into each of our hearts again. That for those who have not walked through the gate, that they have not received you as their Lord and as their Savior, this morning, Lord, I ask that they would take that step. They would get off the fence They would stop looking in from the outside. But they would walk through the gate, come through you, Jesus, into a living and eternal relationship with the Father. And if that's you this morning, I urge you that today is the day for your salvation. It's the day for you to say yes to Jesus and no to this world and to the sin of this world. Today is the day for you to cross over from death to life. To know that Jesus is the mediator. He is the gate, the access to the Father. Come to Jesus. Offer yourself willingly to Him. Surrender yourself completely to Him. Say, it's no longer me who wants to live it, but I want Christ to live in me. And then allow Him to do what only He can do. A miracle that you would be born again by the Spirit of God. For those of you who are needing His protection, you're facing some daunting things, some real challenges. Well, as we sing this song, I want you to declare the name of Jesus as your protector, as the one who holds you in the palm of His hand, the one who says no one and nothing can snatch you out of that place, the one who will be your shield and your guard, the one who will hem you in on the left and on the right and the front and the back, the one who keeps you safe. Declare him this morning. He is your protection. And what about provision? What is it that you're needing? What is it that you're desperate for? 
What is it that you've been crying out to God for? Well, you know what? He is your provision. Allow Him to be it. Declare His provision over your life. Declare His miracle over your life, even this morning. That which is impossible with man, which you just can't see a way through. How will this ever happen? God says, it's possible with me. I'm your provider. I'm Jehovah Jireh, the one who does provide. And then for those of you who are just needing a a, a release of, of supernatural life, abundant life, life in all its fullness, as you begin to declare Jesus, begin to declare that life that He has for you. A life not just to hang in there until He returns or you go to be with Him but a life that is front-footed, a life that is victorious, a life that is purpose, that has meaning, that makes a difference, that impacts our world, that influences people with the love and the life and the light of Christ. Oh, allow His life, that supernatural life to invade your life this morning and to take you into a supernatural realm of living life that He's called you to live. Abundant life, overflowing life, rich life, a meaningful life. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Stand with me. And as we sing this, I want this to be a declaration. Please don't just sing it as a song. Sing it as a declaration for what it is that you're trusting God for, whether it's salvation, whether it's protection, whether it's provision, whether it's supernatural, energizing life. Allow God to release it over you even now in the name of Jesus.